Good to have you here today. Thank you, worship team. What a good time we have in worship together. Thank you for that. We're going to be over in the book of 1 Kings here today. 1 Kings. When was the last time that you had a bad reaction to something that someone said? Or something that someone did. And you thought about it afterwards and said that was a bad reaction. <laughs> that was not good. <laughs> you kind of chastise yourself. You kind of, you know, I shouldn't have been doing this. Hey, but maybe somebody else had a bad reaction. To something you said. You said something and all of a sudden they react in a way and you're thinking, where did that come from? I don't understand I didn't think what I did, what I said was that bad. So we begin to wonder about these things. We're going to look at a bad reaction. We have those bad reactions that comes from the inside of us and sometimes we're not aware of this. But the enemy likes to pull out of us the same way that God wants us to pull out of ourselves. Pull out that scripture we have for a main text for our series here. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. God has put things on the inside of you that are to be drawn out. But understand, your flesh is in there too. And the enemy wants to draw out that. And if he can draw out the flesh action, the flesh reaction, it can change where it is that you go. Now, sometimes the enemy cannot find the bad reaction he wants on the inside of you. And do you know he has a tactic to get that bad reaction on the inside of you? He has a way to get a bad reaction that you seem to not walk in down on the inside of you. Have you ever had it that after, you know, walking in the Christian walk and all of a sudden you're seeing reactions come out of you that weren't there before? Ever seen that? Sometimes you got... Uh, just a, a flesh action came up. Where'd that come from? I don't, I don't usually have that. I don't usually go in with that. There's a tactic the devil uses, and we're going to take a look at that here today. Last week we were looking at David and the burning of Ziglag, and we reviewed the scripture again that the enemy, of course, he is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's out to steal. Now, sometimes we think steal. How many of you have always thought he's out to steal my money? Let me believe the devil's out to steal your money. Money is useless to him. He cannot spend your money. It's, it has no value to him. Now, he may want to get your money in the hands of somebody else who's in his kingdom so they can use it, but the devil has no use for your money. But there are things that he does have use for. And we looked a little bit about that. Some of the gifts that are there, some of the musical gifts that God has put inside people. Because when you're born, God has given, has given gifts to men. People have been given gifts. There's all kinds of gifts that he has and he gives them to them. And the devil says, that's a good gift. I'm going to steal that for my kingdom. He wants to take it. You see, there's nowhere in Scripture I can find anywhere that the devil is able to give gifts. I don't see that the devil is able to give music gifts. I don't see that the devil is able to give speaking gifts. I don't see that he's able to give any kind of ministry gifts, any kind of compassion gifts. I don't see that he's able to give any gifts at all. They come from God. So if he wants them, he's got to steal them. So he's out to get your gift. 
He wants to steal it. You got some weapons that God has given you. He's out to destroy them. He's out to render them useless. Get them to the place where you can't make them work. He wants to destroy those weapons that are used against him. That's his goal. And then after all that, he's out to kill you. If he can. He's out to kill your gift or your, your calling. He's out to kill your purpose. God has given you a purpose. He's out to kill that. Get you to walk away from it. That's what he wants to do. He's out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We saw that David left Ziglag undefended. If you have things that are valuable, you must be able to defend them. The more valuable what you have is, the more defense you need. What do you have, what do you have at your disposal for defense? Do you see what God has given you as valuable? Are you trying to protect it? Do you know someone's after it? Now, if we, if we have in our pocket a hundred dollar bill, how many of us know that's valuable? How many of us do some things to make sure we protect that hundred dollar bill? Now, if we have a dollar bill in our pocket, we may not be as protective. If you know you had a hundred dollar bill in your pocket and it's not there, how many of you get a little upset? If you had a dollar bill in your pocket and you can't find it, how many of you give it a second thought? I mean, we might, well, where'd that dollar go? Well, I probably spent it on something. May have spent it on something. I don't know. I mean, maybe I gave it to somebody. I don't, I don't know. But a hundred dollars, you know where that's, where that's been going. I don't think I've ever had a five hundred dollar bill. I don't know what you would do with that. I feel kind of funny carrying that sucker around. Well, we have that. We have these things. Make sure that you protect what it is that God has given you. And know that the enemy wants to either steal it or cause it to not be used. That's his goal. That's some of the things we went over last time. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to be getting over there. We entitled this, this one, The Colors in Us. Whole lot of focus anymore about the colors on the outside of us. We're not talking about colors on the outside of us. We're talking about colors on the inside of us. Because we have colors on the inside. How many of y'all know that? One of my favorite movies. I don't get to see it all that often because I don't think they put it on the air all that often. But how many have ever seen the movie um, Red Tails? Yeah, I like that movie. One of my favorite scenes in that is when, uh, you know, there were some racial things that were going on inside this movie. And then finally they seemed to come to, come to grips with each other and begin to accept each other. And so they were sitting at the table and the, you know, the black folks were on one side and the white folks were on the other side. The pilots, so they were pilots, black pilots and white pilots. They were on the other side and they were talking with each other. And uh, they had one of the best lines I, I thought of came out from one of the mouths of one of the black pilots. He came up there and he says, he says, I don't understand this. He says, you guys are green with envy. And um, what was the other ones he said? This one of the other colors. Who remembers them? Green, I remember green with envy and red with anger and uh, blue with something else and all these things. And he says, and you guys call us colored. <laughs> I thought, man, that was a good line. I, like, <laughs> I don't know if it really happened or if somebody just was writing some good lines in there, but that was, uh, 
That was fun. We're talking about the colors, though, that are in us. That we have some colors on the inside of us. And I'm going to bring out some colors here for you to see here in just a minute. But one I want to talk about is uh, Saul. We already talked about this story. We're just going to mention it to you. Remember Saul? Saul was given a, a helper in ministry. His name was David. And he was a great helper in ministry. He helped them in battles. He helped them with the music that he played. He did all kinds of things in, in ministry that, that helped Saul. And then all of a sudden they came back from battles and David was extremely successful and slaughtered many of the enemy, which is good for Israel. But when they came back, you remember the, the women? They were singing the song and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And in him came the thought, well, they attribute to me thousands, but to David, tens of thousands. What more is left for him but the kingdom? And so he, he became angry. And so the color we have for Saul is red. It's supposed to be red. It looks a little pinkish to me, but we're using red for Saul. You see, their color was on the inside of him. And the enemy brought it out. He looked for ways and he found some a way through David. And in fact, he used the method with some women who meant what they did to celebrate and be glad. Good things happen. Let's write a song. Let's sing about this. It was meant with good things, no harm intended. But the devil was able to use what was meant for good to bring out something bad. And it started Saul on a bad Bad direction. And so the color of Saul was red. Well, we go from there and we look at someone else in the Word of God. We don't talk about him a whole lot, but we have talked about him in, in times past. And that was uh, John Mark. John Mark, he teamed up with one of the best ministry teams in the Bible. Paul and Barnabas he was a relative to Barnabas. That's probably how he got the uh, in. Then Paul agreed to it. So they bring him along and they take him out on the, the mission. And before the persecution even got really revved up, and it got revved up after a while, but before that, he hightailed it out of there. He says, man, this is too much for me. And persecution came. That was from the enemy. And it was meant to discourage them. It was meant to take them in the wrong direction. And Paul and Barnabas... No problem. They just kept on going. In fact, when they got the, the heat got turned up, they just kept on going. They just uh, they didn't quit. So we're giving John Mark his color is blue. It's blue because he turned cold for the gospel. He was hot. He's in charge. He's ready to go. And then when all this stuff happened, he decided, you know what? This is not so much for me. I don't think this is quite as important to me as I thought it was. And he turned cold to the call that he had on his life, to the ministry that was there. Well, here we have in 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll get to the color here in just a little bit. Let's read this verse. And they have told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. This is after the mountain. The victory, you know, the altar and the water and fire down from heaven. Then the slaughtering of the prophets. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. 
Now, that's not quite what happened, is it? Because it's not what Elijah had done. In fact, Elijah was pretty lazy. Elijah had a lot of ideas that other people had to carry out. He did build the altar. But then he said, uh, let's get some water. You all go get some water. So he made other people go and get the water. They brought the water up, poured it on the thing. Go get some more. So they went and got some more. Go get some more. And then um, all the whole time in the morning, he's just sitting there. After a while, he sat up and he started making fun of him. But he's not very active. He's just kind of sitting there. And um, then he started praying. Father God, bring down fire. Let people here know that you are God. And so then God brings down fire. Elijah didn't do that. He's kind of lazy. He's just kind of sitting around. The only thing he did was he put some stones back on top of each other, but they were already there. Just kind of rebuilt the altar. And so Ahab comes back and says, let me tell you all the things that Elijah had done. Well, what's he saying? If you're going to give a report about what Elijah had done, what are you going to say? I mean, he didn't do much. So either he's taking what God did and ascribing it to Elijah, or he's taking what other people did and putting that on Elijah. Because up till then, he didn't do a whole lot. Now, he may have been involved in the slaughtering of the prophets, but it seems like he got some of the other people to even do that. But he blames it all on Elijah. Now, Jezebel wasn't there. The only thing she knows about this incident is what Ahab is telling. That's it. So Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. These are her prophets. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now we saw with Saul that the words that were said by the women, they were meant for celebration. The words that were um, that Paul said, or that um, Saul said, I mean, he, they, they came from a wrong color. They came from a wrong, wrong place. But what the women did, that came from a right spot. But with John Mark, there was definitely persecution, very strong persecution that came. And that was meant to harm. But here in this one, Jezebel sends a message. What category could you put in this in? Doing harm or celebration? I mean, she intends to do harm. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I don't know how good of a threat that was. I mean, if, I'm, if I was in Jezebel's shoes, and I'm not, but if I was and I was going to kill somebody, I don't think I'd be telling them about it. And why send a messenger? Why not just send an executioner? I think she was more afraid of him he just called fire down. He's just trying to put fear in. Probably got inspired by the devil. Now this is not what Elijah expected. Elijah expected, and I'm sure you could be on the same part too. He, God gives him a vision. Go up in the mountain, have this sacrifice, call down fire from heaven, and then people will repent. God, and Elijah's probably saying, man, that is a great plan. I like this. This is going to rock people's world. I know it. This is going to be wonderful. So he gets up there and it happens just like he's expecting. Nothing happens with theirs. He teases them for a bit. 
Then he calls down fire. Fire comes right down, burns everything up, just like he thought. The people had the same reaction he thought. They immediately jumped on God's side and they slaughtered all the prophets. He's probably come back and says, man, that just worked out the best it could have been. It could not have been any better. It's exactly how I envisioned this to come in. Now we're going to see revival come into this land. People are going to turn their hearts to God and all the people are going to leave this false religion. And then he gets a knock on the door. And he's beginning to think, this, this is not what I expected. I expected this to go okay, completely different. Now, I have a few favorite movies. I have another, another favorite movie I have. I think it's called Hitch. Anybody seen that one? It was my, one of my favorite scenes on there, beside the episode with the uh, water, the water ski. That was pretty fun. But when I get back over to the Ellis Island, and he has the guy turn the page to where her relative was, and um, you know he wants her to find that, and he's done all this work and found out who was in her history, and and then when he saw her reaction, remember her reaction, she did not react well to seeing that name in there. She's, and then he kind of ran off, and he turned to the guy who was there, who helped him get in there, and he says, "I saw that differently going, going differently in my mind." <laughs> he had expectations. Elijah had some expectations. He saw this thing playing out differently than the way it ended up. And it was going according to plan. I'm sure that's as, as how he thought. And now all of a sudden that's not going according to plan. People aren't repeat, repenting. In fact, they're coming after me. I don't like this. He had expectations that first off the message would be heard, the nation would repent, and that Ahab would come back and make a stand against this evil wife of his. And he did not. And so the evil was continued, continued on. So he was discouraged by that. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now he went over to Judah because this is under a different king. Not under Ahab. He says, now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Apparently, he thought he was. I mean, why else would you say that? You had to be thinking that I'm, I, I'm in a better state. I'm above what they were. And the thought must have come to him. Man, Elijah, you have just hit the top. And you are in. I mean, comp- you compared to even Moses. I think you have even beat up Moses. I mean, think of some of those prophets in the Old Testament. Oh, you have just soared above any level that they were at. Those thoughts may have come in. I don't know. He may have rebuked them. But something came in that made him think he was better. Now he's suddenly realizing, I'm not better. I am not better than my father's. That's his response. Now, that's not a good response. We've talked about that before. But our responses, i put this in your outline for you, our responses are completely what we allow. Don't think your response is the devil made me do it. He did not. He may have set you up, but you jumped in. Our responses are completely what we allow. And usually it is just something so simple. But it is generated from the buildup of emotions, not a reaction to a single event. You got a bunch of emotions have been building up. This didn't go right. This broke. 
this didn't start. All these different things are building up. And then somebody says something to you. And then, bam, here it comes. But you see, we have a buildup of stuff. And then all of a sudden, we have a reaction. And that person who said that, says, I'm not quite sure what caused that. Elijah was having a buildup of things. And it came out here. He may have been discouraged all this time, three and a half years, nobody repented. Three and a half years, he prayed for the no water and there was no water, but nobody repented. And now we're, we're having this go on. And he was sure that this would change their hearts. Because you can't be a prophet of God, be praying for the people of Israel, be getting words for the people of Israel and not have a heart that Israel turn around. Especially all that time. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So if you want to go out to eat today and they are serving cake at the end, just know it is in Scripture that you can eat it. Take that to the bank right there. So he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Now, up until this point, I mean, if an angel showed up and gave you cake for a journey, wouldn't you think, man, I am special? I thought maybe I lost a little bit there, but God is paying special attention to me to get me to a certain spot, and He's going to have some words of encouragement for me. I just know it. God is going to have some words of encouragement for me. I just can't wait. God is going to... He he is waiting to get me way on out here all by myself, and then God is going to have some words of encouragement. Couldn't you get that idea if you were Elijah? So he gets there and waits to hear from God. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if I was Elijah, I'd probably have the response, this is where you told me to go. That would have been, I'm sure, that would have been my response. Probably no better than his. But that probably would have been my response. You know, this, is what, this is where you told me to be. I don't, I don't know. I, I thought I was supposed to be here. What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now what was building up in Elijah? Put four things in, in here, because these are the same four things that the devil tries to build up in you. First off, he built up a strong self-awareness. I know how zealous I've been for God. And this is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to get you make, you make you very aware of all that you've done for God and how people are not appreciating it. You may not be saying they seek to kill me, <laughs> but, you, <laughs> but you may be saying something in there because people are just not aware of how lucky they had to have me in their life. Right? These are the kind of things that come up. I mean, when a husband and wife have battles with each other, they usually think they don't know how lucky they are to have me. 
Most people wouldn't put up with this from them. <laughs> These kind of things are, are coming up. Those kind of thoughts don't come from God. You probably don't need to be told that except when you're going through it. Because when you're going through it, you feel very self-aware and very much caught up with how zealous you have been for whatever it is that you've been zealous for. And that everybody should see it. I've been very zealous. Very zealous for the Lord. So a strong self-awareness. Secondly, isolation. No one else is as faithful as me. No one else puts as much into this as I do. No one else is on God's side except me. I'm it. I mean, there may be other Christians around, but no one is in your category. You are above them. Now, you've all been there. We've, we've been to that spot where we think, I am something. See, the devil wants to get to us isolated. We've talked about that a number of different times in different, different uh, places, but that, that idea is there because if he can get you isolated, he can consume you. He can get you. No one is as good as I am. No one is as zealous as I am. In fact, I alone am left. I'm the only guy on your team, God. You need me. You need me. Keep in mind, I'm it. I've been around Israel. There's no one else on your side. I'm the only one. Now, how does that thought come? Well, the devil begins to say some things to him. You see anybody else doing this? You see anybody else being on this, on this side? Now, I was, when I was in high school, I had the thought many times, I am the only Christian in this school. I had that thought many times. Now, for one year, that thought was, all right, me and one other person. There was one other person who was as vocal about their Christianity as I was. But there was no one... I could, I mean, I had a case. For, if I was before God, like Elijah was, I had a case. And when I would be taken into the boys' room and beaten up, or, or, you know, people would, uh, wait for me on the way home from school, or a few times I took the bus, and, uh, picked on me on the, on the bus, or wait for me to get off the bus, and I was the subject of much persecution because I was the only Christian around. That's what I, I thought. Now, from the ninth grade on, I carried a Bible. Bright yellow and orange Bible. I believe I still have it somewhere in a box. I do not like the translation of that Bible, but that Bible went with me to every single class I was in. Did not ever stay in my locker. I carried it to school. I carried it home from school. I carried it to every class. It was on top of all my books. Every single person in school knew I was the Bible-carrying kid. Every single one of them. They didn't know my name, but they knew I carried the Bible. And I told God, this is my case. I told him, I said, God, if there is another Christian in this school, they should have identified themselves to me because I am identifying myself. <laughs> and there was one girl in my junior year who identified herself and she was as vocal about her Christianity as I was. She was a senior, I was a junior, I think at that point. And um, uh, she was very, very vocal about it. They didn't beat her up. I don't know, they just didn't want to hit the girl. But they, they constantly uh, decided that the beating me up was just fine. Yeah. 
You know, you see those movies and the, the kids who don't want to go in the restroom? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> Didn't want to go in the restroom because I knew it probably wasn't going to end well. But I was a skinny, scrawny little kid, didn't have much, much meat in my bones, and didn't have uh, much to help me out with that. So I didn't like going to school, and it was kind of funny because in my senior year, I had perfect attendance. I never missed a day in high school, except for one. My mom had the wrong start date of my senior year. And so I went to school on the second day thinking it was the first day. But I never missed a day. I don't know why. Should have missed a couple of them, but I didn't. Strong self-awareness, isolation. I'm the only one. God's apparent inaction. God is not keeping me out of harm's way. God should have stopped this. Why did God allow this to go on? Doesn't God love me? I thought God loved me. I'm on God's team. Look at, you should see how zealous I am for you. Why aren't you here zealous for me? These kind of things come up. So God's apparent in action. Look at what he says here again. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Just in case you don't know what's going on down here, God, let me inform you. Because apparently you aren't very involved here. And you may have to be informed about this. I mean, can you hear that any other way? Here's the fourth one, fear. I'm afraid to operate the level I've grown to operate in. Elijah had grown to operate in higher and higher levels of being bold for the things of God in front of kings. And now he was shying away from it. I don't want to operate at that level anymore. See, the pressure comes on and the devil is just happy if you can back off. Moses, look at how bold he was. And the pressure was constantly on to try and get him to back off. Stop operating at the level that you've grown to. But see, God wants to take you into higher levels. But the devil wants you to be frustrated and tired of operating at that level. And to go on to a lower level. To duck out. And this is what he was going through. And so when God says, why are you here? He's not talking about the place. He says, how did you get here? How did you get to this place where you were all the way out here, away from the place you're supposed to be ministering? How did you get here? How did you get to this place where all this is going on the inside of you. So self-aware. So isolated. So apparently convinced of God's inaction. And so welled up with fear. Now problems or failed expectations can derail us from the path that God has put us on. It shouldn't, but it can. And if it does, it's not God's fault. We cannot remain mindful of God and our problems, failed expectations at the same time. Every time that you pick up your expectations, every time you pick up the things that have failed in your life, every time you go back and you grab those, when you're holding on to them, you cannot hang on to the mindset that God wants you to have. Can't hang on. You've got to let it go. So here's the color. We have... For Elijah, we have the color yellow. Because he turned from being bold to being a coward. That's hard to say about a, a man who did the things that he did, isn't it? But he ran away. He was in fear for his life. All kinds of 
inconsistencies here. If he wanted to die, just stay there. I mean, if he wants God to take his life, well, just stay right there. It'll be taken care of. I mean, why run to the other country? Just go to the house. I'm here. Go ahead. Take me out. Do me a favor. So how does this get into, get into Elijah? Because I, I can't see how this cowardice could have been in there because of the things that he had done. He's very bold for the things of God, very confident in the things of God. How did this get into him? Somehow this got in there. But he's doing other stuff before. Bold. Gets up before them and says, you know, I'm not going to have any water until I say so. Got it? I'm the guy. I'm the reason that there's no water. He got people so mad at him. They searched all over, try and, kick, try and get him. We want to kill him. If we kill him, we get the water back. Got there, kill him. Just get rid of him. He's got everybody. He drought affected all kinds of areas. So other people are looking for him. We got to find this Elijah guy. So everybody's looking for him. He's just laughing at him. <laughs> you can't find me. How do you go from that to being so cowardly and backing down? Well, see, the devil has a tactic. He has ways of putting these things into your thoughts. He has ways to get this in. Now, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus tells a parable. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced the crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together till the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now this particular parable is not talking about attitudes that are sown in you. It's talking about people. And the harvest will be for lives, for the, the, the harvest of spirits at the end. But you see that God sows good seed. The enemy is the one who sows the bad seed. That if we're going to have bad seed going on inside, it didn't come from God. Because God doesn't sow bad seed. That's not what he does. He sows good seed. Over one more verse of scripture to go to. Over in John chapter 13, verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. We see that the devil put this into his heart. Now, how is this done? How do you put something into your heart? Now, you see I made a little acronym up there for you. This is how you get into the pit. Pits are not good. You get into a pit, it's hard to get out of a pit. You don't want to fall into the pit. Joseph they put into a pit because he couldn't get out. How is this done? First off, it's done with pressure. Pressure. Pressure to respond like others or think the way others think. There's pressure there. Sources like the news, Hollywood, your peers, people like that to think. And they can alter the way that you think about things. I came upon a story. This. How many have, um, have seen different reports about all the plastic in the oceans. Anybody seen all that? The big, in Alpha Hawaii, that big island of plastic that's in the oceans? Now, 
How many of you, in thinking about that, how responsible is the United States for that? How many of you think we're mostly responsible? We're the big one for the, for the plastic. Here's what they don't tell you about all that plastic that's floating around the ocean. Most of it is put in the ocean by the Chinese. They just dump it in there because they don't have the money to take care of it. Or they don't want to. I don't know what it is. Most of it is done by the Chinese. The Chinese throw most of it into the, in the ocean and it floats and makes, makes its way on over here. So we got this big island of plastic plus other places. You know, I keep constantly, I'm on a couple of uh, reef sites and they always like to put these things up where the fish are floating around with the plastics and stuff like that. But you get the idea and every time that they get the report that we're the main ones responsible for it. That we're dumping our stuff in there. A few times I've seen it come up inside me. Why are we dumping stuff in the ocean? Why are we doing that? United States is responsible for less than 2% of all plastic in the ocean. The reason for it is we clean up our mess. Less than 2% of all plastic in the ocean comes from the United States. But they don't tell you that, do they? They give us an idea that, oh, we need to do something. And so they had this whole campaign. Who, who, who was it just recently? that uh, uh, Disney, the Disney parks. No more straws. No more plastic straws because plastic, plastic straws are killing the environment. And they give you a figure of how many straws are thrown out in a year. Now, here's what they don't tell you. I got the guy's name who came up with the formula. He is, he is now older. But at the time he came up with the formula for which they use to calculate how many straws make it into the oceans and into the land, that the time he did it, he was, you ready for this? Four years old. He is now 17. And he was asked about this particular formula he made up. And he says, the reason that I made it up this way, here's how he made it up. He called the straw manufacturers and asked, how many do you make? And he made his calculations off of that. He said, if anybody can come up with a better figure, I'm all for it. He says, because I had a hard time getting anything from anybody to make a formula out of. Four years old. And they are now passing a law, I believe, which, where, is it California again? That if you give a straw to a customer, it is punishable by six months in jail per straw. So if you f- serve a family of four their beverages and give them straws, you could be in jail for two years plus a $1,000 fine Per straw. <laughs> What's this based on? A four-year-old boy who was putting a report together. Come on, really? Oh, I hope I didn't get that four-year-old or fourth grade. I was pretty sure it said four-year-old because he's 17 years old now. And he gave out that. He says, Man, I, I'm, he's kind of hoping to come up with a better way to figure it out. I have his name. I didn't, I didn't write it down or bring it with me here. But if you ever want to know his name, you know, just text me. Send me something. I'll, I'll send you the, the info on it. But I heard his voice. I heard him talk about it and say the things that, uh, that he would like to have seen better with that. But all that, people going to jail because some young boy came up with a calculation and people are thinking the straws 
are killing everybody. Well, first of all, the straws in this country generally get put into the right spot and then go out into the oceans. Now, I don't generally use a straw, but our straws on the table get used because the two little ones on the table like to take the paper and shoot it. <laughs> so the straw gets used. But I don't always use a straw when I'm, when I'm drinking. But first off, pressure. This is how it's done. There's pressure around you. Pressure from the people that you know. Pressure from the news media to think a certain way. Pressure from Hollywood, from all the moves and TV shows that they put out. Try and get you to think in certain ways. There's pressure that is there to put that in. That you are the only one. That you are the only one who thinks this way. That God is inactive. That God doesn't care. Secondly, interpretations. Interpretations of the actions and words of others. That you see people say something and immediately you interpret it. Well, they meant that this way. And we interpret it. I don't go and say something to them. I just interpret it. And I heard what they say. Huh. I bet you that person doesn't like me. And a wall goes up between us and them. And I don't receive things from them anymore. Because I've interpreted something that they said. Or something that they, uh, a look that they gave me. I didn't like the look. We make interpretations off of that. And the devil uses those interpretations to get the seed into your heart. Pressure, interpretations, third thoughts. Because you know the devil can sow thoughts. He wants to get you to, sow, to think on things. He may sow the thought, but it doesn't mean you have to sit there and think on it. You don't have to keep giving on those thoughts. You give into these kind of things, there's a pit. Now, last week I told you I was going to bring two things into the service. Anybody remember what they were? If you don't remember, I won't, I'll just let's go on. We'll go to something else. There was two things. I was prepared to bring one of them in here. The second one, I'm not quite ready. I told you there was a story that I would tell you that I don't usually tell. In fact, I don't even know if I've ever told this story here. I may never have. Um, another one was... Um, Something about uh, keeping wrong doctrine out. I think that one we're leaving off for a little while. So you can probably have to bring that in here next week. But there was a story that um, the culmination of this nearly drove me out of the ministry completely before I really, really even got started. But there was a church I served in for, you all know, for about five years. And in that, that church, I came into that church and God had told me to come into that church. And before long, I don't think I was there for more than a, a month or so. I had nothing to do. I was just in the church. And then God says, they're going to ask you to be the youth leader. Well, they already had a youth leader. And we were in the youth meeting. And I was in the youth meeting trying to help out and do whatever I could in, in the church. And then all of a sudden, there was an argument that rose up because the youth leader at that time was trying to teach the kids the importance of God in evolution and um, uh, trying to get them to watch a movie about the, the end of the world. And they weren't too keen on either of those. So the kids started arguing with them. Why would we want to stay home from church and watch that movie? That was their response. Because we had Sunday night services then. And uh, such a disagreement dis dis rose on there that the youth leader walked out never to be seen again. He left. And so we're in the middle of the youth meeting and the youth leader is gone. So um, I stood up and Another guy, you've seen him here every once in a while, Brian. 
comes in and helps us out with some electrical work and he comes in and helps us out with our visits uh, some of the servers that were here. We go way back into into that. And um and Matt was a part of that youth group that was that was there too. So he knows some of these these things that were were going on. But uh we got up and we did some things and then tried to take it in a positive way and ended it and before long they came and they asked me, said, Would you be the uh youth leader? And I said, Well I already knew I already heard it in my spirit to do it. So I said, Yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. And so we we did that one. And it wasn't more than a few months later that they, they asked me to come on in and to uh, assist the pastor in some things. And not too long after that, they said, we want you to be the assistant pastor and the youth pastor. And so um, God had told me about those things, and it was okay to do. And so I went ahead and, and did that. And so all this time, you know, I, I was in the this, in this church, and more and more things were being put in my plate. And um, there was a particular elder who was at the church. And at first, we got along great. In fact, we would sit down and talk about the Word and talk about God for hours. Just long periods of time. We would have conversations about about the Word and, and about God. And it went really, really well. And then something seemed to happen. Uh, I don't know if he was expecting certain authority, certain power to be put in his hand that it wasn't. It was put in mine. And I don't know if that, I don't know what it was. But it seemed to be something along those lines because there always seemed to be this power struggle between the two of us. And so we were once very, very open to each other and would receive from each other and now suddenly we were becoming very close and he began to do some things that I saw as destructive in the church and he saw some things I was doing as destructive in the church and we became very close to each other. Now I had the opinion that as the assistant pastor I answered to the pastor not the elders. He had the opinion I answered to him. And so we had the clash that went up in there. Um, and that went on. Well, there was one particular Sunday. This is just a little background so that leads up to this part. One particular Sunday, and the pastor was going away. And so he said, uh, will you take the service? So I took the service for that Sunday. And so we were having a worship service, and I just felt in my spirit. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that I did everything that was right or that I was good or that everybody else was wrong or anything like that. I'm just telling you what happened. I can't really figure all that sort of, sort of stuff out. But in this service, at the end of the, of the, as the worship was going on, I felt like we were on the brink of something. And if we could just get over that, that, that spot, we could get into some things that God wanted to do. We've been there in this, in this place many times. We've stayed with something and, and just kind of pushed on through and, and got that and anointing comes out and people get healed and good things like that go on. Well, I felt like at this point that there was just something we had to do. Just, and so I, I, I got up there and I just kept the worship service going on and kept the worship service going on and, and uh, it just didn't seem to be, didn't seem, quite seem to be where we were at there. And so this came up. I don't, again, I'm not telling you that God told it to me. I think he did. That's why I did it. <laughs> but I know I can miss it. And, and then the one thing about it is, you know, I was young and out of school. You know, I was in my, I don't, I don't know, mid-twenties somewhere in that neck of the woods. And y- y- you don't know it when you're young in them, but looking back and say, man, I'll tell you what, they're just, they were wrong attitudes. And I can see them now. I couldn't see them at all then. <laughs> but you can look back on stuff and say, boy, when I was younger, I, I sure did some things in the wrong way. And that could have been going on then too. I don't know. I don't think it was. I've relived that a number of different times and just can't really seem to, to see what happened. But here's, here's what I did. I, it, it wasn't all that striking. In fact, in the churches that we've been used to, it wouldn't even be considered too much out of the norm. But I took off running around the church. 
and um, just ran around, I think, once, maybe twice. I don't even know how many times it was anymore. And when I got finished in there, and we just, the, the church just didn't, they just weren't going through, they weren't going in, and it just didn't seem like we were getting anywhere. And after I finished, um, the worship kind of quieted down for a minute, and this elder stood up in church and rebuked the whole thing and said, you ought to just get on with the service here and uh, leave this stuff. Something to that effect. Well, I, you know, no matter what was going on, that'll kill it. <laughs> and so I got up and did what I did not want to do, and I just preached the service that I was supposed to do that day, and I wanted nothing more than just to go home. I just was, there's just too much conflict in, in that. I just wanted to go home. But, um, you know, but the pastor had left the church service. That wouldn't be fair to do to, to him, just do what I wanted to do. So I, I went up there, and we conducted the service the way it was going on. At the end of the service, I found this elder, and I said, you need to come to my office. Now, I didn't feel like doing this. This elder is twice my age. And I brought him into my office, and I knew there was a power struggle. I knew that there were things that were going on between us. And I'm not saying again that I did everything that was right, and he did everything that was wrong. I'm not trying to, to say that at all. But I brought him in the office, and this is the summary of it. We were in there for a little while talking about things and what had gone on. And I told him, I says, uh, I know you probably would have liked Pastor to have left the church service in your charge, but he didn't. He left it in mine. You see, people will try and take that authority from you when it's given to you. You have to stand up for it. The pastor couldn't stand up for that. I had to stand up for that. So I stood up to him and, and told him that, let him know, I'm, I'm not backing down from you. This is what the pastor said to do. And this is what I did. If you have a thing like that going on, you approach me about it. I'm always very approachable with you. And you let me know about it. And uh, we had that discussion, and so we left it at that. Now, as far as I'm concerned, this whole thing is over. Because it wasn't any bigger than what I'm telling you. That's as big as it was. Well, it went from there. When the pastor got back, I'm sure that this particular elder had a meeting with him. And then that particular pastor had gone out and apparently had meetings with other people who were out there. And then all of a sudden I find myself in front of the elder board being raked over the coals. And everything in me just wanted to leave and just to quit and to go. Everything in me. There was nothing in me that wanted to stay. And I, I wasn't real good. I mean, I'm, I'm probably better at it now. And I did okay in that room, standing up for the things I had to stand up for. But in that room with, the, with all the elders and just being the finger pointing and all the, all the different stuff that was being said, I just, I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to say, look, I don't need this job. Uh, uh, you just, just do what you want with it. But I stayed and I listened. I, I know now what I should have done there and I, I, I didn't do it. But here's, what I, here's something along the lines of what I should have done. Is... Um, See, the pastor had met with all these people about what had gone on in the service and got a picture of what had gone on. We don't have Facebook then. You have videos and nothing like that. But he never walked across the hallway and knocked on the door of my office and asked me what happened. He didn't one time do it. He didn't say, Steve, what were you trying to accomplish there? Maybe next time if you, if you go this way, you'd get that accomplished. He didn't try and do any of that. They just simply sat there and told me all the things that were wrong with me. And you understand, I'm doing an assistant pastor job. 
I'm working there about 30 to 50 hours a week. I'm paid for 15 and I'm paid a whopping $6 an hour. I did not need the job. I could go back to the job I was working at and give them back any uh, 10 hours and I would have made more money than I made over there. That's all I would have had to do. But I thought, you know, if I, if I was smart, I would have been and tell them, I'm not here for the money. I'm here so you can train me. Why didn't you walk over? Why did you have all these meetings with all these other people and never have a meeting with me to tell me what was wrong? Now, you will notice something about here in, the, in this church. We have never brought anyone before a bunch of elders in the church and lambasted them. In fact, if I ever have to rebuke anybody, it's basically one-on-one because I'll never put somebody through what I went through. I won't ever do that. I know what it was like. I know it almost destroyed me. It almost took me out. And it was everything in me to stay. But I did only because I felt that God saying to, to go ahead and keep on staying. That there would still be some, some good things that would, that would happen. So took the rebuke and went on and that wasn't the end of it you see because sometime later on and I'm sure that I may have shared this with you maybe part of it anyway but maybe part of my aversion for New Year's Eve services and I hate with a passion New Year's Eve services I despise them in every single way I've told you if you all want to have a New Year's Eve service have it I will not come but one day we were have they had all night watch night services. They'd start at six o'clock in the evening and go until midnight. Six hours of being in the church. And you know, they'd do food and service and stuff like that. Well one time we were in there and I felt the Spirit of God come on me for prophecy. And so I got up and gave a prophecy. And that was a longer prophecy than usually it, uh, they were. But at the end of the service, they were telling me down in the bookstore, they said the things you said in that prophecy have been the hottest selling tape ever. The people were not here are buying this tape. The people that were there all went down and thought, can I get a tape of that? They wanted to go back and, you know, we talked about a number, well, didn't matter what they talked about. And that went on until this same elder rose up. And once again, I found myself in front of the elder board and raked over the coals for the content of the prophecy. And yet many of the leaders came up to me afterwards and said, that was so, oh, that was so right on. Oh, that really, and they they spoke about the things, but then as soon as that came on, no one said a word about it. No one said a word. And once again, raked over the coals, beat up, spit out. Now that's not the only time I was beat up and spit out. I could tell you about three or four more times that I was beat up and spit out in this church. One of them for defending someone the pastor considered to be very dear. Defended him. No benefit to me at all. And by every single one, him and those on the elder board raked over the coals. And I already gave my resignation at that point. But I gave him lots of notice. I gave him like two months notice. I said, man, I've already given my resignation. I would like to just leave now. They don't want me here. And as soon as I was gone, everything faith related in the church was taken out of the church and thrown in the dumpster. 
Every book by Fred Price, every book by Kenneth Hagin, every book by Kenneth Copeland, any book by anyone who taught anything on faith was taken and thrown out in the dumpster the day after I left. And that's the direction the church went after that. Yeah, it was real tough. But you see, it started because two people who were very open to each other became closed. If we had continued to be open to each other, if we had found a way to keep that going, probably most of that would have been avoided. But two people who enjoyed each other suddenly didn't enjoy each other anymore. I was out with my wife to the mall one time and we actually ran into this elder. There was nothing in me that wanted to stop and have a conversation. <laughs> I wanted to go. I wanted to leave. In fact, there's really no one, there's nothing in me for anyone who's on that elder board to have a conversation or do anything at all. And I've run into a few of them. And I just, there's, there's still that part. I don't want to have any conversations here. I don't want to, I don't want to go on. See, I, I become closed. I see, sometimes this happens with us. We have people in the church. We're very open to them. And we receive from them. And then things happen. Things happen from interpretation. Things happen from thoughts. Things may even happen from pressure. And we become close to those people. But we've got to find a way to, to keep those things open. I can't say that it changed a whole lot of things that happened there, but I have made sure that in, since then, that even though I feel the pressure to close, I remain open. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep talking to that person. I'm going to keep going in there. I'm going to keep having a relationship with that person. I'm not going to let this thing close. You have to be careful because the wrong colors can be pulled out. When you get rolling on this. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. So God is not in wind, earthquakes, or fire. Keep that in mind. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now I want you to see something on Elijah's answers because he's going to answer him here. All his answers are about things that are external. They're external factors. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. It's exactly what he said before, isn't it? Whenever you have something that you were able to repeat verbatim, it's probably because you have rehearsed it. And on his trip over to this place, he's probably going over. If I see God, this is what I'm going to say to him. And he probably rehearsed it over and over and over again. The factors that bring us to a point of depression where we cannot stand up to the attacks of the enemy are internal. They're inter no, not external. They're internal. They're going on the inside of you. See, I told you some really tough things that I went through in ministry, but if I knew more, I would have been able to avoid it all. 
because I saw everything as external and treated it that way. You see, it was more internal. That's what I needed to do. What did Elijah back down to? What kind of things did the enemy find out that Elijah would back down to? What will he stand up to? This is what the enemy needs to know. He's going to test you out. See what you'll back down to. See what you'll stand up to. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Did we miss out some stuff in there? No. Go, you return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael, king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that where whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, not Judah, Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You're not alone, Elijah. Elijah, you're not alone. Take the same words from God. You are not alone. Don't let the enemy isolate you. Don't let him get you in the pit through pressure, interpretation, interpretation of what others are doing, or thoughts, because he's going to try and do it. This is how he does it. If he doesn't find the right reaction on the inside of you, he's going to try and put it there. Because if he can get that wrong reaction out of you, it will cause you trouble. It will cause you some problems. Don't let him do it. I put in your outline this. There's a color that should be in you. And hopefully it is. It's the color green. Because when you see pressure when you see the enemy trying to come along with wrong interpretations of what people are doing when you see thoughts being sowed on the inside of you it should not throw you into the pit it should tell you you keep on going you keep doing what God has said to do let the color that gets pulled out of you be green and if you want to add a second color to that how about adding some gold because what God has put on the inside of you folks is pure and it's good And it's valuable. Don't take on the other colors. Take on the ones that God wants you to have. The enemy wants to bring out of you the red for anger, the blue for growing cold, the yellow for being cowardly. And you could probably add other things in there as well. But don't let the enemy bring these things out. Don't do that. Stay with what God is saying to do. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that you have a call on our life, that you have a plan for us, that good things are in store for us. Sometimes along the way, there are changes that need to go on. Changes that take us from one place to another, from one season to another. Because we're growing. Because what we weren't ready for before, we are ready for now. But if we can keep hanging on to the old things, it may be hard for us to move into the new. 
Father, I thank you that you help us to follow your plan, to go your direction, to carry on your will. With every head bowed, if you're here today and you say, I can see myself myself in Elijah. I can see the enemy trying to pull me into the pit. I can see those four qualities being built up on the inside of me to focus on God's inaction, get me isolated, to think about how good I have been, so forth. But I'm going to rebuke those thoughts. I'm going to keep myself free that way of thinking and to keep myself humble. And when certain people in the body of Christ have brought out a wrong reaction out of me, I'm going to deal with the part that's on my side. I'm not going to be closed. I'm going to find a way to open myself up. I'm not going to leave myself to wrong interpretations, wrong thoughts, wrong pressures. Every head bowed. If you say that's me today, I, I can see some of, maybe not all, but maybe some of Elijah. And what I'm going through right now, just raise your hand up. Father, you see the hands that are raised. And I thank you that you can help us. And when we had times of anger towards people that we were supposed to be ministering to or receive ministry from, we have times of envy and jealousy. Times we want to back down, come cowardly with the things that God has told us to do. Times we want to become cold. Just walk away. Father, you're here to help us. Defend the fire. Just as you gave Elijah instructions that told him what to do. Where to go. He did it. You'll give us things to do as well. I thank you for it. Give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do this for me this week. Spend some time thinking on these things. How is the enemy trying to pull me into the pit? What are the things that the devil's trying to put on the inside of me to pull different reactions out than what he's getting? Because if you can spot them, you can stop them. If you come up with some of those things, you don't have to tell us, share the list with us, but just let us know next week. Yeah, I got some things. Because I tell you what, no matter where you are in ministry, always seems to be some of these things that can come on. Now here for these next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing some little different things. Brother Keith is going to be closing out our service with some, with some things. Too, um, he's just going to be more mindful of them. I told him some of the hindrances I have at the end of the service. I don't always think of all the things that need to be said until afterwards. So he's going to be mindful of those things and coming up and, and do those. So Brother Keith, come on.
pastor was talking about tactics of the enemy. And one of his biggest tactics is discouragement. Okay, We all face discouragement. And one of the things that we do at the end of our service is we have our prayer requests and we have our praise reports. And the reasons we have our praise reports is because we want to be encouraged. When you look at Elijah, he saw all that God did, how God moved, but he had let something that one little old woman say get him discouraged. he just seen fire come from heaven. And, and eat up a bunch of folks, a bunch of priests. But one little old woman said, I'm going to get you. And he got discouraged. So what we want to do is we want to encourage one another. Remember what Pastor said. The responses that we have are the ones that we allow. So as we are encouraged, we won't allow those negative responses that we get. I have a couple of uh, praise reports. One is from, actually I have three. And they're prayer requests slash praise reports, which makes it kind of interesting. And my first one, I guess, was from Entau. And it's about Ara. Okay, and Ara arrived safely back home. But when she got back home, she found out that her apartment was run into. Yeah. That's the reaction I had when she told me. What does that mean? Literally, a car ran into Ento's apartment. Okay, so it kind of breached the exterior of the apartment, which meant if anybody wanted to go running into her apartment and go shopping, they could do it. It was available. Oh, but God. Hence the praise report. While Ara was here, the apartment was open. God and his angels protected her apartment. You know, sometimes when you do praise reports, it should just make you want to shout, make you want to yell. Here's my question. You ever wonder or you ever watch anybody watch a ball game and see people lose their minds watching a ball game? I know some of you right here, right now, I can point to and I have seen lose their minds at ball games. But when you have praise reports where God provided protection, that's time when we should be shouting. That's time when we should be giving him the glory. That's when we should be acknowledging him for all he is and all that he does. So in all this, God protect her protected Ara and her stuff. Now we need to pray for her that because now she needs to find no, not new stuff because her stuff is still her stuff and her stuff a new place to put her stuff. Okay? So that's what we're praying for, Ara, that she would find this new place and it would be an even better place and give her an even better outreach and vantage point for ministry. Hallelujah. Also, while I was speaking with Candy, and in vain of encouragement, we need to pray for both Candy and Bobby to be encouraged. 
okay? And that even though we are agreeing and have agreed that Bobby has his healing, we know he has his healing, sometimes walking out and getting that healing is something that is a little tough. Sometimes we can get discouraged, okay? So we're praying for Bobby and Candy for encouragement. And in that vein, Candy got a birthday card the other day. And she was encouraged by the birthday card until she opened the birthday card. And she got really encouraged because there was a monetary blessing in there. And, and you know how you guys, when you send out cards, twos and fews, fives or whatever else, this was a real encouragement, okay? So there you go. Once again, encouragement. All right. Oh, by the way, the Ekpe family east arrived safely. They're having a marvelous time. Okay. And I have a praise report from Ms. Ethel. And she was asked to help her aunt with some financial things, which is not Ms. Ethel's favorite thing to be doing. But when she went to look up stuff, because as we all are getting older and we're dealing with parents, we find ourselves and relatives find ourselves assisting. I know Vanessa's done this. I deal with it, you know, with the finances of our loved ones. And you know what? Sometimes it's just plain old tough. Sometimes it's discouraging. But when Miss Ethel went to help out her aunt, she found out that the bank, had already categorized things that made it so much easier for her that she didn't really have to sweat it like she was already sweating it. So when you understand that God is here for you in the big things and the small things. Thank you, Lord. Both big and small. That he is here to provide. He is indeed Jehovah Jireh our provider. It's time to start shouting. It's time to get happy. It's time to say, you know what, Lord? You have got this. Amen. All right. Uh, By the way, Angie's doing well. She's coming along. And what I want to ask you guys as we're moving forward, if you have reports about what's going on, please write them down. And if you could Get them to me, and if you can, please, 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 please. Do it before, like, last minute. Because when you start trying to read stuff last minute, it's like. It just doesn't work for me. I mean, it may work for some of y'all, not me, okay? All right, so if you guys could just greet one another with Jesus' joy. Enjoy the rest of your day. And always remember, give God the glory. Lift him up and understand he's waiting to move in our lives. All right. Amen. Hallelujah.